Good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States. Today is the 31st of January, 2022. That makes it the last day. February is coming on strong. Good to see that first full month of winter in the rearview mirror. Now, what we are also going to put in the rearview mirror this evening is the anabolic lectures. I wanted to finish them, though, by uh, talking a little bit about the regulation of purine biosynthesis and maybe also quickly just go through pyrimidines. Remember, <laughs> these are anabolic pathways, so we're building molecular structures from simpler organic compounds and ultimately yielding macromolecules that are important in cellular metabolism. That's what we mean again by anabolism. We know this is reductive biosynthesis. It's going to take reducing power, pumping electrons into preformed organic compounds, bioorganic compounds, to build up larger structures. We're also going to be utilizing ATP. Um, now, what's interesting about nucleotide metabolism is, of course, ATP is a nucleotide. So that means the regulation of the pathway is going to involve nucleotides as sometimes cofactors and also sometimes as allosteric controllers. Remember, allosteric comes from the allosteros, means other solid. And when we say solid, we, we mean another location on the polypeptide backbone which in this case would be the enzymes that are rate limiting for the de novo synthesis of, for example, the purine ring structure, uh, those nucleotides that end up being utilized along with the pyrimidines to make the polymers RNA and DNA. Okay. So let's get back into this uh, pathway and um, talk about the regulation. So last time we had finished by telling you that adenosine monophosphate can be uh, either converted to guanosine 5' monophosphate or adenosine 5' monophosphate. Those would essentially be the end products of ribonucleotide biosynthesis and the purine pathway. Of course, just phosphorylating to GTP or ATP respectively would give you the mature ribo nucleotide triphosphates. All right, now let's talk about this regulation, shall we? Now, remember one of the first reactions in the pathway for purine biosynthesis is taking 5' prime phosphory phosphoribosyl alpha pyrophosphate, reacting with the amino acid glutamine, and in the presence of water, of course, which would be the solvent, where this would be... Uh, catalyzed, the enzyme then is the glutamine PRPP amidotransferase, and we are synthesizing beta-5-phosphoribosylamine, right, or PRA. Now, that reaction is controlled by end products of the de novo purine biosynthetic pathway. This is classical allosteric regulation. <clears throat> Let me explain it to you. The active form of that enzyme, which commits now that nitrogen atom 
to building the purine ring structure around the ribose sugar. Uh, and it's going to be adding that amino group in the beta configuration on that carbon one. Um, that enzyme, as we just mentioned, that amidotransferase is positively allosterically controlled by phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate. So this is essentially a feed-forward reaction. When you build up phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate, remember that was the initial substrate for this entire pathway, right? Because we're going to build the ring structure around it. It's inactive. The enzyme is inactive, the amidotransferase, as a dimer. But when phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate builds up, it will convert the inactive dimer to the active monomer. Okay? Now, at the same time, there will be product allosteric inhibition. And this will be carried out by inosine monophosphate, guanosine monophosphate. Okay? And that will induce the monomeric form to redimerize, right? So IMP and GMP, which are end products of the purine pathway, will cause that enzyme to shut down, okay? And it'll shut down not because it causes its destruction or moves it from one subcellular compartment to another, which can also sometimes be the result of modifications at the allosteric level. No, here it's just taking the monomer, which is active, and resynthesizing or reaccumulating the dimer, which is inactive. Okay. So that's basically the story there. And if you look at straight up curves uh, where you increase the concentration of the substrate, PRPP, and you're looking at the amnotransferase activity, you're going to get somewhat of a hyperbolic activity as you increase PRPP, you'll increase amidotransferase activity until it plateaus. However, if you have AMP, which is one of the other end products in purine biosynthesis, plus IMP or AMP plus GMP, in the presence of increasing concentrations of PRPP, you're going to suppress the activity of the amidotransferase to higher concentrations of PRPP. You're going to start turning it into sort of a compressed sigmoidal curve where you're going to have very low activity of the amidotransferase uh, as you increase the amount of PRPP until you get to much higher concentrations. And then that PRPP will obviously be forcing that dimer back to the monomeric form. You understand? So this is what we're talking about. You can look at these reactions <clears throat> in terms of the amount of substrate going to product. And the product, again, is going to be all the way down there at AMP and GMP. But you can also just look at the enzyme reaction itself, right? just the synthesis of that first intermediate, PRA. And you can add in the actual end products of the pathway. And you can look at changes in the curve that, can, that, is a, it ex, that is the exemplar 
for the activity and related to one or more substrates that are necessary. So you can look at glutamine, for example, as a substrate, plot that on the x-axis, or you can plot PRPP on the x-axis. And on the y-axis, you just have aminotransferase activity. So this is one way to examine allosteric control over enzymatic reactions by doing those kinds of activity curves, they're called. So again, 5-phosphoribosyl, 1-pyrophosphate. Those are both uh, prime numbers, of course. It's going to be that, that enzyme that converts it to 5-phosphoribosylamine, okay, PRA, is going to be positively allosterically affected by the substrate, 5-prime-phosphoribosyl, 1-prime-pyrophosphate. But it's going to be negatively impacted by adenosine monophosphate, and it's also going to be negatively controlled allosterically by inosine monophosphate and also by guanosine monophosphate. Now, when we go further down the purine biosynthetic pathway, that initial reaction of IMP going to adenosuccinate, which is the second to the last reaction for AMP synthesis, that reaction will also be allosterically controlled directly by adenosine monophosphate, which is going to be one product later. So it goes IMP to adenosuccinate to AMP. AMP is going to negatively allosterically control IMP or adenosuccinate biosynthesis. Likewise, if we look on the other side of that pathway, the guanosine side, IMP going to xanthosine monophosphate, that reaction, so IMP to XMP, will be negatively allosterically regulated by GMP. So you see, once you have a branch point in a pathway, it is where the branch point then results in unique products. Those first unique products <clears throat> not necessarily the initial product, will then control that reaction leading down that pathway. Again, this is all a matter of complementarity to regulate the relative molar concentrations of these two purines, A and, uh, A and G, guanosine and adenosine. Right? You understand how this is functioning now? Because you're going to need equal molar amounts there to synthesize the polymers RNA, and then when you do the deoxyribonucleotide biosynthesis by the ribonucleotide reductase enzyme, which we've already talked about, for the deoxynucleotide triphosphates to be able to carry out synthesis of DNA. <coughs> There's even more regulation downstream for that, as you might guess. So <clears throat> there are also some salvage pathways we can talk about real quickly here. When we've got, <clears throat> again, during the de novo pathway, <clears throat> excuse me, IMP going to either adenosuccinate or XMP. We just told you about the regulation of those two reactions leading to GMP and AMP. Now, you can also synthesize AMP directly from adenine by reacting it with phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate. So adenine plus PRPP will make AMP. Now, that reaction is negatively regulated. It's a salvage pathway reaction 
basically that's a fossil ribosyl transferase reaction using pure nucleotide bases directly, that will be negatively allosterically regulated by the product. So AMP will inhibit adenine plus PRPB to AMP. Likewise, if you look at guanine, guanine can also react with a molecule of PRPP, making GMP, again, salvage pathway biosynthesis. And again, these are still fossil ribosyl transferases, right? And that reaction will be inhibited directly by the product, GMP. So guanine plus PRPP going to PPI plus to G, uh, plus GMP will be negatively allosterically regulated by the end product GMP. Okay? So you have multiple layers of allosteric regulation at the, in, at the enzyme substrate product ba- base and also at the pathway level. Okay? So now you understand little bit more about regulation. Now, you also have interconversion of purine nucleotides, which is one more component I want to talk about. So <clears throat> there's an enzyme which will take AMP and reconvert it to IMP. And that enzyme is the AMP deaminase. So AMP will be converted to IMP plus ammonium ion. Now, that reaction will be positively allosterically regulated by ATP, but it will be negatively allosterically regulated by GDP and GTP, again, demonstrating the complementarity of regulation at the allosteric level in purine biosynthesis. This anabolic pathway then does crosstalk with multiple nucleotide forms, both at the nucleotide diphosphate and nucleotide triphosphate levels. Okay. Likewise, if you look at, there's there's an enzyme known as GMP reductase, which will take guanosine monophosphate. Remember, that's the first stable end product of de novo purine biosynthesis down that lineage. GMP can be converted back to IMP, just like we took AMP to IMP. That enzyme is called a GMP reductase. And that will take NADPH and oxidize it, and in so doing, remove the ammonium ion. And the resulting other product will be inosine monophosphate. Now, that reaction will be positively allosterically regulated by GTP. Okay? So now you get the idea about how individual purine nucleotides end product will control pathways that will lead back up the de novo biosynthetic route. This allows then for a late stage allostery aspect control of agency of IMP being used for ATP synthesis rather than GTP synthesis and vice versa. So ATP controlling then 
the degradation of AMP back to IMP, some more GMP can be made, and GTP controlling the GMP reductase, allowing GMP to be reconverted to IMP, so IMP can then be used for ATP synthesis. And along the way, ADP is AMP, ADP to ATP. You understand? So this is how interconversions of purine nucleotides regulate one another. Again, in, in another in, entire facet of allosteric regulation in anabolism. Okay, so I wanted you to get that very important component. Now, <clears throat> some of these nucleotides can be used for other biosynthetic pathways. For example, there's a cofactor called tetrahydrobiopterin, which we've talked about in the past. It's necessary in many, many, many enzyme reactions. We can synthesize tetrahydrobiopterin directly from GTP via an enzyme called GTP cyclohydrolase 1. And that will produce the formate from the C8 of the purine ring, thus opening it, opening up that ribose so that you synthesize a few reactions later, tetrahydrobiopterin. Okay. So GTP can be used for tetrahydrobiopterin biosynthesis. There's regulation there too, and we can talk about it, but not right now. I just wanted to give you an idea about how nucleotides can also be used for other biosynthetic pathways. Now, when you have nucleic acids, nucleic acids can be broken down. This would be DNA or RNA, okay? The polymer now can be broken down by nucleases, either ribonucleases or deoxyribonucleases. So you're going to end up ultimately with guaninucleotides and adenine nucleotides. Remember, this is a purine pathway. Now, when you end up with a guanine nucleotide, there's an enzyme called nucleotidase, which will remove phosphate, making free guanosine. Okay? Now, that guanosine can react with an enzyme known as purine nucleoside phosphorylase to reform ribose 1-phosphate and guanine, okay? That guanine then ultimately can react with an enzyme known as guanase, which just passes water, to generate that ammonium ion. And now you're back at the level of xanthine. Now, same thing can happen in the adenine arm of the pathway of degradation of nucleic acids. Nucleic acids can be broken down by, again, specific nucleases to make adenine nucleotides. And adenine nucleotides have two possible fates. One is the nucleotidase to adenosine. All you're doing removing there is just the phosphate. Or you can have that AMP deaminase, which I already mentioned to you, and that will make IMP. Now, the adenosine can further be metabolized via adenosine deaminase, losing an ammonium ion, back down to inosine, or the inosine monophosphate can react with nucleotidase, losing the phosphate, making free inosine. Now, inosine 
can react in an enzyme with an enzyme called purine nucleoside phosphorylase, making ribose one phosphate. Now you've lost the sugar. Now you have the free base of hypoxanthine. Hypoxanthine then ultimately can be degraded via xanthine oxidoreductase to xanthine. So both guanine and hypoxanthine go to xanthine. And the xanthine ultimately to uric acid via the enzyme known as xanthine oxidoreductase. So now I've taken nucleic acids and broken them all the way down to uric acid. Now there's a lot of regulation there too. Um, but we're not going to talk about it because I'm, I'm trying to just, you know, I talked about enough regulation, I think, for right now. And um, I wanted to be able to cover the um, purine nucleotide biosynthetic pathway. I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. We've got about 10 minutes left in this lecture. So <clears throat> purine nucleotide biosynthesis, first of all, ATP um, it was involved in six steps. The PRPP was the first step a purine synthesis. The role of ATP in the first step is unique because you have a group transfer rather than coupling. Remember that. In the second step, the C1 notation changes from alpha to beta because you've got anomers specifying where the hydroxyl position is going to be relative to C1 and with respect to the C4 group. And in step two, remember that the purine nucleotide pathway, I'm just finishing this off before I go to pyrimidines, PPI is hydrolyzed to 2PI, and that when that happens, that's irreversible, and therefore you know that as a committing step. Right? Now, just to continue on so you understand what I'm saying here about coupling reactions. Coupling reactions are different when you use ATP. Here you're hydrolyzing a phosphate from the ATP. That's relatively easy because there's a real high delta G naught prime of negative 30.5 kilojoule per mole. So basically that is a very powerful endergonic reaction. And that endergonic reaction released energy into the cell if, if, if it's not coupled to anything as just heat. So that heat would be dissipated and it wouldn't be useful in biochemistry. So you have to couple that endergonic reaction generating the Gibbs free energy, again, I just told you that G not prime is standard conditions of minus 30.5 kilojoule per mole. So you couple it now to an exergonic reaction. So when ATP is a reactant, part of the ATP can be transferred to, a to an acceptor, and that would be PI, PPI, and adenyl group, or adenosinyl group. So ATP hydrolysis can drive an otherwise unfavorable reaction and so the word synthetase is used, because remember, you're using ATP hydrolysis. So remember, it is TATP. And the older name for the enzyme, before we knew what the substrates and products were, was energase or energase. Do you see this in the very old enzymatic literature? No, I wasn't taught that. I'm not that old. But that's what it was called before it was figured out. By the time I got into graduate school, and believe me, that was in... Starting in 1979, uh, we already knew all about coupling reactions. Okay? Just giving you the prehistory there. Now, channeling of some of the reactions on pathway organizes and controls the processing of the substrates to products in each group. This is another concept about purine biosynthesis. 
And what that does, channeling those reactions increases the overall rate constant of the pathway itself. And it protects all those intermediates from the possibility of degradative pathways. So, for example, in animal systems like in humans, inosine monophosphate synthesis shows channeling at the following reactions. Reactions 3, 4, 6, 7, and 8, and 10 and 11. That then uh, prevents the potential of intermediates in the pathway to be diffused away and either degraded or possibly used for other biosynthetic pathways. This is called the channeling of intermediates. It has to do with the biophysics of the enzyme related to its either hydrogen bonding or hydrophobic interaction with intermediates in the pathway. Okay. So remember that you also have IMP conversion to AMP. Remember that reaction. Inosine monophosphate plus aspartate and GTP go to GDPPI. That's the adenyl succinate synthetase, making adenyl succinate, losing then fumarate via adenyl succinate lyase to make AMP. Right? And remember the IMP conversion to GMP. Right? There you've got IMP going through the IMP dehydrogenase. That's going to take NAD, making NADH, passing water over the bond, uh, and at the same time making xanthosine monophosphate, XMP. And then you have the GMP synthetase, where you take glutamine ATP in water and make glutamate AMP and PPI, and the PPI goes to 2PI, and you made GMP. So remember all that regulation around those pathways. So the regulatory control of pure nucleotide biosynthesis is, as I've said um, last time, and I'm just going to reiterate it. And we're not going to, I can see that we're not going to really have time to do uh, perimeter biosynthesis, but that's okay because I really want to send home these concepts to you. So the regulatory control of pure nucleotide biosynthesis, first of all, GTP is involved in AMP synthesis. And ATP is involved in GMP synthesis. So we can call that complementary reciprocal control of biosynthetic pathways. Remember, too, that phosphorepicid pyrophosphate was the biosynthetically central core molecule. You could ask the question in biochemistry why is that? Well, ADP GDP ratios allow you to have a negative feedback control on ribose phosphate pyrophosphokinase activity. Likewise, the amidophosphoribosyl transferase reaction we just went through is activated by PRPP levels. And the APRT activity itself was negatively feedback regulated, remember, by and I didn't tell you, but there are two discrete allosteric sites. One binds ATP, ADP, or AMP, which can all bind to one site. And the other site, of course, is the other product, GDP. It'll, it'll bind allosterically, GDP, GDP, or GMP. 
So ultimately, the rate of AMP production increases with increasing concentrations of the final, final end product, guanosine triphosphate, right, the NTP. And the rate of GMP production increases along with increasing concentrations of ATP. Again, complementarity, this is the key feature here, right? This is the key understanding of what we're talking about. Complementarity involved in reciprocal control over production, maintaining the relative ratios at the diphosphorylated levels of ADP and GDP, right? That's the key feature here. So the regulatory control, again, of purine biosynthesis above the level of IMP production. You have individual independent control. I just went through that. You have synergistic control, adding the different nucleotides at different levels of phosphorylation. And you have that feed-forward activation by phosphorylation pyrophosphate. But below the level of IMP production, it's all purely reciprocal control because you're controlling the rate limiting of those two final end products, essentially GTP and ATP. So the total amount of pure nucleotide controlled ultimately and the relative amounts because of the reciprocal allosteric control of ATP and GTP also managed to be manifestly controlled. Okay. So that ends, I believe, my anabolic lectures for early 2022 coming from Authentic Biochemistry Studios from me, Dr. Dan Guerra. Um, we're going to move on now to another um, circuit in biochemistry, and I will keep it occult as to what we're going to talk about next. We may stay in the letter A. I don't know. Anyways, the 31st of January, 2022. I think we're moving pretty quickly through this year. <laughs> Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studio saying bye for now.